What is creativity? And what are its origins? And how do we access creativity in our lives? This podcast explores the intersection of creativity, imagination, and everyday life. At this crossroads, we experience wonder and magic, and if we're lucky, transformation. Welcome to the Quotidian. Welcome to The Quotidian. I'm Bradley Dennis. Michael Mead is a renowned storyteller and author and scholar of mythology, anthropology, and psychology. He combines hypnotic storytelling, street-savvy perceptiveness, and spellbinding interpretations of ancient myth with a deep knowledge of cross-cultural rituals. He has an unusual ability to distill and synthesize these disciplines tapping into ancestral sources of wisdom and connecting them to the stories we are living today. He's the author of several books, including Awakening the Soul and the Genius Myth, and is the creator of the Living Myth podcast, as well as the founder of Mosaic Multicultural Foundation, which is a nonprofit network of artists and activists and community builders that encourages greater understanding between diverse peoples. He's a man after my own heart in many ways. We spoke about how the pandemic has played a pivotal role in our lives as a rite of passage, the isolation and solitude of a coming-of-age ritual in many ways, and how Michael's rethinking of the meaning of the word genius can help us build ourselves and our communities back into forces for positive, personal, and global change. This episode is sponsored by carolinacommons.org, who exist to help individuals, teams, and communities develop their creative voice and vision in order to help make sense and meaning in the world. Go to www.carolinacommons.org to learn more. Thank you as ever for joining us here and for your continued support of our efforts to lift up these voices. And now, bathe in the deep and energizing river of soul that is Michael Mead. Uh, Mr. Michael Mead, hello and, and welcome to the Quotidian. It's an honor to have you here. Good to be with you, Bradley. Thank you. How are you faring in COVID times? You, you seem well. I'm pretty good. I mean, I live on a small island, which has not been hit hard by COVID. And it's uh, already insular. Island living is insular. Yeah. And so you just become more insular. Yeah. And uh, there's places in nature to walk. And, and I can write and, and working on mythology uh, for long hours every day anyway. So it's a hermetic pursuit <laughs> kind of turns out that way increasingly. So, yeah. And how are you experiencing the transition from what is normally public speaking for you and, and creating communitas to this kind of environment where you're dealing with people digitally and virtually, how's that going? Well, in terms of interviews, it's familiar. I've always done a lot of radio and stuff like that, but in terms of, uh, presentations uh, with the audience not physically present, that was a real challenge at first. Yeah. Um, I Because I interact with the audience so much that it was like I had lost a whole half of the world. And, uh, and so I just had to learn. Um, it's interesting because there's so much uh, less feedback. Yeah. Um, and the old idea about a storyteller is that the story is created between the teller and the listener. Yeah. 
And so it was really like a, a major loss. And I'm always affected by the energy and the emotions that are present. But now I've learned to just project it out there and, and just hope that people are receiving it and it's helping in some way. Well, the call and response that you're used to, I imagine now is an intuitive perception rather than a visceral one. I, I don't know if it's even intuitive now. It's just like, it's like, uh, just put it out there yeah. and, and hope that it finds a place to land. And I mean, we get a lot of emails and we get feedback that way, mm -hmm. but that visceral, um, physical, emotional exchange is really missing and really, you know, if you think about community, how hard it is to generate community if there isn't that authentic sense of interaction and interconnectedness. And so I think I've, I still feel that. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I've heard you speak about when talking about the moment we're in climate crisis and COVID in particular is it's this sort of liminal state which when equated to a rite of passage is that separation and that isolation for yourself. Where do you, uh, where do you find your solace? And after spending so much time in service, what do you do to, to recharge? Well, that's become more difficult. I mean, I, I go to nature for one thing. Mm -hmm. um, when the weather allows, I swim in Puget Sound and I get a lot of energy from water that works for me. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, there's other, I haven't found ways to replace the kind of regenerative energy of deep community, of either healing engagements or even, well, there's less music. There's less, it's, it's, it's harder to even be in a musical situation. Yeah. And so... Um, so I find myself going deeper and deeper into my own uh, psyche, my own soul, essentially. Mm -hmm. and, um, um, and so that, I connect that to descent. Like we've all been pushed, not just back out of community, but into a descent. And I think descent is happening um, across the world. It's a time of descent. We're losing stabilities, we're losing institutions, we're losing um, educational forms, all kinds of things are going on. And so one thing that's really reassuring to me is somehow I started this study uh, and work of the soul, I don't know how many years ago, it's probably 40 years ago now. And so the idea of descending, um, I had already worked through the the original fear that there's nothing down there, that if you really go down inside, after you hit the traumas and the early life troubles, then there's nothing. Well, I've found, you know, some of the things that are the deeper territories of the soul. And so that makes it more familiar and also um, more rewarding to just, as they used to say, if you find yourself in a descent, dive that when when you're going down the solution isn't fighting your way back up it's actually descending further reminds me a little bit of of Jung when he went into his descent before writing the Red Book and how long he fought that process before he ultimately decided just to sink to the bottom and see what happened. Yeah, critical experience for the Western world that Jung would almost rediscover the descent into the soul, which was both psychological and mythological. A big part of why I started this show and what I wanted to accomplish with it was to to help people gain tools to make sense and make meaning of the times we're in. And you've spoken about um, this notion of genius and how people can make sense of the world by connecting to their, their sense of purpose, 
and meaning. Um, because you're so familiar with the notions of dissent and you've had your own kind of personal dark night of the soul vis-a-vis um, -vis your Vietnam protest experience, how, how do you encourage other people to approach those concepts if they're not as familiar with what we might call that dark night of the soul or those shadow elements that are so necessary? So um, about 35 years ago, maybe, I was working with a severely at-risk youth, uh, gangs often, in places like Chicago and South Central LA and all. And I was trying to be helpful to young people uh, because I understood uh, how hard the world was for young people growing up. Of course, in the past three decades, decades this got much more difficult painful, challenging, confusing, but it was already then. And, um, and what happened was I'd be working with a, a group or a gang and, um, and I'd come back a couple months later to pick up the work again. And, uh, and someone would say, remember so-and-so? And I said, yeah. And they said, he's gone, she's gone. And, and with these 15, 16, 17 year old kids dying, it's still going on in urban centers throughout the United States and throughout the world. And so I had this realization that when I'm talking to a young person, it might be the only chance I'll ever have to talk to them. And it might be the only chance they have to talk to someone who's trying to recognize and see them and kind of accept them and bless them. And so I tried to think of, of how to do it. And I remembered the old idea of genius, not the contemporary idea where genius means high IQ or, or specific talent, but genius in its original meaning, the spirit that's already there when someone is born. And I just took the chance of saying directly to young people really on the edge, you know, when, when the moment was right and we already had some communication, do you know that you have genius? Did you know that part of your soul is genius? And I was really surprised that the reaction almost always was immediate. Like, what do you mean? Or, or really? Or tell me about that. Like, it resonated right away. So I had found a way uh, to talk about something in them that is essential to them, that is part of their soul from the beginning and that no one can take away from them and that they could use to open up and expand uh, their understanding of their life and, and the world and through that one word. Um, and so uh, when, when if I'm talking to people who aren't that familiar with the idea of the depth of the soul and the sense that each soul is unique, genius is the way I'll go because it is universal, right? You already have it. You're born with it. It doesn't matter uh, the issues of uh, gender or social class. So none of that matters because at that deep level of the soul, each person has their unique genius. And that genius has a voice and it has a drive to express itself. And you see it when young people are rejected or mistreated and they begin to act out that's the genius acting out. Uh, when people are accepted and listened to and recognized, then you start to see it uh, express itself in positive, usually creative ways. And so that's been a real vehicle for me to contact and connect with and uh, help open uh, the eyes of the soul and the capacity for expression of all kinds of young people and all kinds of other people too, homeless people and so on. I've used the concept um, and the practice of awakening the genius in all, all kinds of uh, social uh, and intimate human situations. Mm -hmm. It reminds me a little bit of, um, I do some work with, with uh, drug recovery and the, the language that they use is a, a God-shaped hole that oftentimes people are looking to try to fill with drugs, with overeating, with whatever their proclivities lead them to. Um, but that when they come to 
their bottom or they're fed up and they're done, they turn to a community that believes in them before they can believe in themselves. And that sounds very similar to what you're talking about, being seen, being accepted, kind of warts and all, and everyone trusting that you have a seed of something, that you have that, as you're calling it, genius, that you have that passion. Yeah, the to be in the modern world mostly means to be not welcome. Um, I've studied a lot of traditional cultures, interacted with some traditional cultures, but mostly studied the stories of all different cultures. Mm -hmm. And you find this sense of the genius, the Greek word is daimon. Right. Uh, there's other words for it. You find it really throughout the world. And a healthy traditional culture would begin uh, with the people in the community welcoming the new child that's just born, blessing the mother that just gave birth. Um, and then they would be further welcomes on a regular basis through the uh, process of childhood. And then there would be a big rite of passage that ended with a big recognition, welcoming as an awakened being and all these things that were missing. To be modern means to be not welcome often. And so then if you take the Greek word for genius, daimon, when the daimon isn't recognized, nourished, it becomes a demon. Right. So all of our demons are the shadow version of our daimons or our genius. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in the drug culture, that's particularly true. So a lot of the parallels that you draw in terms of what some of the solutions are to the meaning crisis we find ourselves in are drawn from traditional cultures. But here we are in, in these modern times where people are so disconnected from faith, from one another, from a sense of community, from a sense of belief, um, so many different things vying for people's attention. What are, what are the conditions necessary to awaken that for people? And how, how do we cultivate that? Is it through is it through friendship? Is it through communitas? Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, it's really hard with COVID and the effects of COVID. It's, except it turns out you can do it online. People do get legitimate messages and deep feelings communicated. Yeah, I would, I would never guess that. Yeah. So it's that essential to human life that you can even uh, project it through Zoom and electronic equipment and so on. That's a kind of interesting uh, lesson in a way. But the way I think about it, what's missing, you mentioned communitas, that's the Latin word that gives us community. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean proximity of living. Uh, community is not living near each other. Communitas means something so deep happens that it pulls everybody together without there being a need for agreement. The depths of the situation uh, is enough to make everybody feel the interconnectedness that's natural to life, but mostly rejected, avoided, and denied in the modern world. So you, what I say lately is we're in the midst of a, a collective rite of passage. We're trying to um, lead each other guide each other, follow visions and dreams and ways of reconnecting to the depths of humanity. I, I think that's my way of understanding what's going on. And people experience it very differently in different places and different times. But what I, I see climate crisis, which is affecting everyone in the world, um, the soul's response to crisis is to dig deeper, find essential capacities, potentials, imaginations, creative energies, and bring that to bear on the crisis. COVID is doing a very similar thing. It's affecting everyone in the world, whether you have it or not. Um, and, and both of those huge things that are happening are creating, intensifying the fault lines in all levels of culture. So we're living, we've been, we've been in a divided world for a long time, but we're living in an increasingly fractured uh, world. And um, the way I understand it, um, the soul, which is usually de described as the unifying energy of life, the connecting energy, 
So like you you have spirit and matter, which modern people see as separate, but ancient people saw it as spirit and matter connected by soul. You have uh, the individual person in the community, which many people see as at odds or separate, but that means that soul is missing because soul is the connective tissue between the individual and the community. And so you, another way to say what we're in is a loss of soul, a massive loss of soul, because soul is the animating principle in the human life, which is connected to the animal principles in nature. Our souls know nature. We, we instinctively know that when we see a beautiful tree or a garden or a sunset, we know there's an immediate soulful connection. Um, but that connection has been frayed and fractured and it's left people isolated and it's left uh, us with, you know, a modernity which is so confused about the role of human culture. opposites and ancient people knew that human nature was secretly connected to great nature and that it, like one of the old images is that nature is spirit with a green garment on and culture is spirit with a multicolored outfit and so humans are connected we just have made ourselves disconnected one of the thing that comes to my mind when you're talking about communitas and the original spirit of the term and this idea that we're going through in some sense of rite of passage is that that sounds like ritual, but what we lack is a framework of understanding what makes ritual transformative. And my understanding of it is that everyone knows the beats and everyone knows how how things are supposed to go. They know their roles um, and we're so fractured and we feel so disconnected that there's so many narratives going on. Is that where story comes in and myth? Yeah. Try to help draw that together. Yeah. Story is the old way of uniting. Um, some poet once wrote that this world is not made out of molecules it's made out of stories. Hmm. And so when we really get lost is when we have no story. So in a way, you could also say uh, this rite of passage is wandering without story. Or just this morning, I was working on two of the most uh, common narratives that you can find in the history of the world. Hmm. And one nowadays people would call the myth of progress. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea that is it started in uh, with humans as primitives, but it's pro progressing. And because of evolution, we're all going to get better and we're going to reach the place where there's no illnesses and there's no limits, and, you know, that kind of progress thing. Mm -hmm. The other story is the story, the myth of decline, that there was a golden age once upon a time. It's been declining ever since. And we're now in the period of dissolution and increasing darkness and confusion. And so these almost sound like two halves of the same story or there are two things happening at the same time. Ah. And, and it's always been that way. There's always been evolution and devolution. Mm -hmm. um, it happens in nature. One thing is evolving and other things devolving. But um, what's happening now, I think, is we're being called to understand that or to realize consciously that we're in a world that both evolves and devolves in a world that uh, collapses and renews, mm -hmm. just like nature, just like nature. The mystery of life on earth appears to be the core mystery, life, death, renewal, birth, death, rebirth. And, and humans go through it themselves all the time. Um, most of us have been through several rebirths, although usually it was not welcomed, it was not seen clearly, and it was not blessed. So we have these unfinished births in a way. We have, we're, we're you, know, you know, half born again, or something of the kind. Mm 
And um, so we're in that period now where knowing something about that mystery is really important and being able to hold not just the tension of opposite opinions about vaccines or opposite opinions about political ideas or policies, but this opposition of collapse and renewal, the, the opposition of creativity and death that we're now, I think, being called to understand that in, in new ways for us. And so myth, which is another, the old Greek word for story, um, in, involves uh, both the ancient and the immediate. And so, yes, we're lost and we've lost our rituals. I mean, the rituals of healing are really mostly lost. And if we go back to genius, the idea of the genius, um, the community uh, nourishes the genius of the individual and the genius of the individual uh, inspires, connects, and heals the community. And so that's been broken too. Um, you know, the whole idea in the Western world of the, the rugged individual, who by now is the ragged individual, um, you know, looking for something, some meaningful connection. And COVID, the, the COVID crisis has intensified that sense of disconnection, the sense of uncertainty, um, which is connected to this idea of the two energies of creation and collapse. Almost and as if the world has said, you want to be an individual. Here's the extreme version of that story for you. See how it, yeah. how it fits. Yes. Yeah. And see how the real individual, the, the word individual means undivided person. Mm. So the real individual is the one who has found how they're divided Right. Because the world is collapse and renewal. The world is light and dark. So are we. Mm -hmm. So the real individual is someone who has faced their own inner conflicts and found some inner union, the depth of the soul, I call it, yeah. the deep self, Jung called it. Um, and so the actual individual is less divided than other people and therefore more able to connect and, and help find connections and connections at another level are healings. It reminds and, me of the, the word individuation in reference yes. to the depth psychological work. That's Carl Jung taking individual and making it the project of the soul. Yeah. And so, so this, the sad thing is most people don't know that they are a unique individual already. Mm -hmm. And then because we lost particularly the rituals of the rite of passage type thing. So that, and, you know, in a healthy traditional culture, everyone would have gone through a rite of passage, which would have been partly a revelation of oneself to oneself. Mm -hmm. In other words, I already am someone inside. The genius is one part of it. Yeah. Other aspects of character are there as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and it turns out you can't find those if you're busy protecting yourself or defending yourself or denying that you're wounded. Right. So the rites of passage would be when other people are protecting and usually happening in nature, you know, Meaning like safe a, space. Yes. And so the space is made safe by others, safe enough to take big risks. And the biggest risk is to find out who I am and live that life. Mm -hmm. And people at, used, at least used to try to help each young person go through it. And the realization at a deep level was each person is unique. Mm -hmm. And again, there's a connection to nature. It may be a whole forest of cedar trees, but each one is unique. You can see that. You can prove it. Nature only makes originals, mm -hmm. and that, uh, that's the same with people. Nature only makes original souls, and the only soulless that I can find, the only um, legitimate, uh, in a sense, search is for the ways to become more authentically myself. Um, and so we have
have to refine it and we refine it in ourselves. Uh, but also with the world institutions collapsing and all the misunderstandings and conflicts and fractures, the unity has to be found in the depth of oneself. In the authenticity. The real activism starts. And then once that that process has been initiated and one's able to connect with that, then, like you were saying, that genius, the seed of that genius has to be turned back to the community. Yes, that this natural drive is to give of that which we have been given. Mm-hmm. The geni- genius is the unique gift of each person and the natural drive of the self or the soul is to give that gift as fully as possible. Um, And so if you say the world right now um, needs healing and reconnection at almost all level, Mm -hmm. all parts of culture, all areas of nature. So it seems to me that the genius of each person is being called upon. The Western idea that someone's gonna heroically save the world is not a good story and it's not true. And every time someone says it, that's a hustle. They're doing damage somewhere. Um, And so the genius doesn't want to save the world. The genius wants to be the spirit of genuine, authentic, creative expression. Mm. And so if we accept the idea that everybody has some kind of genius, which is connected to a calling, then some people are called to be in the kind of artistic veins, creating in that way. All of the arts used to serve the divine and the connection of people. Mm -hmm. Arts weren't an interest industry. They were a ritual practice. But other people are going to be called to science. And they can use science, not in the confusing ways that sometimes happens, but in the ways of helping the science that reconnects humanity with nature. And some people have a natural connection to rivers and streams, whereas other people are connected to reinventing forms of uh, funeral or dying. Everyone has it. And if everybody was busy doing that, then all of the places where the fractures are and the damages and the trauma resides and the historic wounds are will, will all be attended to without anybody having to take the whole thing on. And, and um, because that heroic attempt to fix it all is part of the problem. It seems like attention to beauty is, is a source of that. This is something I used to, to teach or ask my um, theater students would be, I'd say, notice what you notice, because that's a reflection on your own process, on who you are, and notice what you find beautiful, and let that lead you to, to what it leads you to. And that, that seems like that's, especially in the natural world, we're so compartmentalized, especially with social media, especially with technology, that there's a lot of the pathways for us to notice beauty in the natural world are, are really cut off yeah keats the poet wrote beauty is truth truth is beauty that's all you know that's all you need to know and that's not sleight of hand that's not uh light ideas because that kind of beauty beauty is really another way to say beauty is something that makes us see and feel as if whole you stand before a painting that you find beautiful. It might be terrifying to other people. Beauty is not about pretty. Beauty is about wholeness. Mm-hmm. And so even something traumatic has a wholeness that can be represented in art. There are amazing you know, paintings of things that are kind of terrifying. Uh, and music can take so many different forms, you know, where it touches loss and the blues and sorrow. And that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so I agree with you. Uh, We're here to see beauty and to contribute to beauty. And in doing that, we're contributing to creation and healing as well. Um, It's kind of a radical idea, but this is a radical time. And if people don't realize that we are part of uh, ongoing creation, which includes chaos, chaos in mythology precedes creation. Mm -hmm. So when things get chaotic, we're actually closer 
to the essence of creation. And we're here to assist in that. I, I think of it as agents, uh, agents of the earth, agents of recreation, mm -hmm. agents of healing, that we're being called to that. And um, the other thing that's critical to know is everyone is potentially part of the wounded healer. Mm -hmm. Everybody has genius, everybody's wounded. And because we're wounded, we have a capacity to find gifts and ways of healing. And again, it's not perfection and it's not heroics. Someone goes through their own dark night of the soul and they find elements of their own soul that are enduring, that are not defeated by the heaviest problems you can find. That's human nature. Then those things that are found in the depths of the soul become the energies of recreating that individual life, but also helping recreate life in general. Jung's idea of the individuated person was when we are authentically ourselves, we're automatically helping others. We don't have to go around helping them, just the presence of people that are manifesting their own souls and their own hearts and their own spirit in authentic ways affects other people. This kind of like the, the modern version of uh, tune in, turn on and drop out. <laughs> it's really, it's the, the image that came to my mind when you were speaking was, um, was actually Blake was the terrible beauty of the tiger of, of this aesthetic no. arrest yeah. Something that is absolutely transcendent, but also terrifying and will kill you. That in that moment, those two things exist. And that the confrontation of that is, is what can transport us. And our souls understand that and those things, the darkness and the light. We're actually human. The old idea is that a human being um, is stretched between the connection with ideas and imagination that connects to the heavens mm -hmm. and the deep emotions that run not only through the body, but right down into the earth, mm -hmm. the passions that connect like to the fire at the center of the earth and the imagination and the spiritual kind of longings that connect to the heavens. The problem with humans is, is that we have all of that in us. That's why humans are both so dangerous and problematic, but also capable of healing the very dangers and damages they've caused, mm -hmm. whether it's personal, collective, or nowadays, earthwide. Mm -hmm. we, we contributed to the damage that's most everybody agrees that we've done that through global warming and all the different things you could think of, uh, mowing down uh, forests and all the kind of damage that humans have done. Well, the logic of the soul says, if we're so capable of damaging the life of the planet, we must also be capable of helping to heal it. And, and that's the story that we're now living. Can we awaken to a meaningful, creative role um, that draws on the depths of humanity to help reconnect culture with nature and to make soul in the world, which was Kate's uh, Keats' other idea that the, the world is the veil of soul making. And so the idea of animus mundi that Hillman wrote about. There you are, soul of the world, the anima mundi. Mm -hmm. uh, and the individual soul is secretly connected to the soul of the world. So, I mean, that this it moves me even now to, to talk about it because that's what I had to learn when I was trying to figure out how do I be or even begin to try being a genuine person. Um, and the, the notion of the soul, unique in the individual, but secretly connected to nature, to the earth, and to the cosmos, uh, to anima mundi, it used to be called, the living world. Um, that's what we're now supposed to recover and realize we're in that story. We're just in the part of that story that's fractured and dark and challenging. been doing this work for what 40 50 years and 
and you've transitioned from in that time from a role of walking alongside, you know, in the men's movement, um, and, and being kind of on a horizontal level to now as an elder, at least in my estimation. And, um, it, it makes me think about the role of the elder in our society. There's two things, at least two things that are really hermetically sealed in the modern world away from us. And one is death. Um, the other is, is food, <laughs> like restaurants, you know, you don't, you don't see what's <laughs> going on behind the kitchen doors. It's presented to you. And the fact that we've uh, celebritized chefs is that that's a whole nother conversation, but around uh, the elder we've, we've institutionalized elder care. Um, what it feels like that is a, a pivotal role here that we cannot yeah. proceed without a connection to, to those two ends of, of that cycle to the birth, to the death and death seems so remote for our culture. Now, how do we, how do we reconnect to that? Well, COVID is doing some of that job. Good point, yes. COVID is, the, the count of the number of deaths is in the newspapers and the news reports all the time now. Now I know a lot of people don't believe that, but that's another kind of death. But anyway, the death is, 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 we're in a funeral march on the level of climate crisis and what's happening to other species mm. uh, and ecosystems. And then we're in a funeral march in what's happening with the almost uncountable number of deaths that we know about now because modern communications that are happening all around us throughout the world. And so we are being introduced to death by virtue of um, loss and by virtue of tragedy. Yeah. Um, modern culture is anti-tragedy in a sense. The whole idea of progress, endless progress, doesn't notice all the tragedy that's happening along the way. And so we're being reintroduced to tragedy. And as I was mentioning, I think that means a reintroduction to the mystery of life on earth, which is life, death, renewal, yeah. that, that that's the thing. Uh, and pushing death away has diminished the connection to life. Octavio Paz, uh, the great uh, Mexican poet once said, a culture that begins by denying death will wind up denying life. We're living that right now. And so uh, the elder is one um, who has died a number of times. Um, there's an African proverb that says the elder knows more dead people. But the real point of the pro proverb is the eldest knows more death. The Irish have a proverb that says death is the middle of a long life. And, and they don't mean just number of years. In a sense, death is the middle of, of having a genuine life. It's the middle of having a deep life. And so what does that mean? Well, psychologically, you could say the ego is supposed to die many times so that the deeper sense of self can live. And so we're going through little deaths all the time now uh, because of COVID. Uh, actual deaths because people die, worrying about dying more ourselves, but also because, because the ego can't do whatever it wants to do, can't go to the restaurant that might be misconceived, but can't go there anyway. And, and, and all that, those are like little deaths. And so that's the way we find the deeper self. The lesson of tragedy is that there is a deeper self that understands both death and birth. And we're being pulled in that direction and elder is not, I would say, uh, so the African proverb is white hair doesn't make the elder. A lot of people get older without getting elder. A lot of people get older without getting wiser. As a matter of fact, some people get infantile as they get older. So we either become elder or we become infantile in a certain sense. And so the elder, you could say, is someone who has extracted meaningful lessons from their own failures. Uh, you can extract lessons from success, but in many ways, the deeper lessons are from failing because the ego has to realize we are not that heroic and we can't do it. And then in letting go of those kind of pretensions, we find this deeper self that is 
um, on one level, our unique self, but like I've been saying, that's also connected to the soul of the world, as you said, the Anima Mundi. So the elder is someone who has been pushed and pulled and dragged through, uh, you know, those lessons to some degree. And, uh, and I agree with you. Um, if a culture doesn't have elders, it doesn't have affection for youth either. Because there's a secret, secret connection between youth and elders. They're at the different doorways of conscious life. I mean, childhood is like its own place. And then youth step out of childhood into this mystery, into this drama. And they're at the beginning of it. And elders are closer to the end of it. And But those two places are the places of greatest imagination. And in traditional cultures, the elders would be the ones who would recognize the youth and the youth would be the ones who see the authenticity of the elder. And, and we're missing that. Um, and amongst the things that have to be rediscovered, it's that dynamic. I should also say, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, the reason it can mean, be meaningful to everybody is everybody in their own heart and soul has the kind of uh, eternal youth and has the wise sage in the soul, in the heart. Mm -hmm. um, I found an African tribe, I studied the different tribes all the time, and I found a tribe that literally said, when we're initiating our elders, we're awakening further their youthful dream. And when we're initiating young people, we're awakening the elder in their heart. So everybody has these two things. And in order to find our way now, we have to keep our connection to the eternal youth, which, by the way, is also the genius. That's a way to, one way to understand that. Uh, that's connected to the dream of a person's life. And then we have to find our connections to the sage that's in the heart, the wisdom that is somehow accessible to us, and that the experiences in life are, in a sense, forcing uh, us to find. The obstacles are not supposed to defeat us. They're supposed to drive us into a deeper awakening. Really drawn to this idea of experience and in particular um, failure as a, as a performer with a significant history and repertoire in clowning, um, the clown lives in failure and it's only through failure that the clown succeeds. Um, I'm very aware of the, the sensitivity around personal identity and, and social issues that make it, um, a very fraught landscape for critique and for comedy and for levity. Where's the trickster today? Where's, where's that, that energy? You know, it's interesting. Um, while you were talking about that, I was thinking about how the clown in native American tribes, certain tribes um, is, would be the, the clowns would be the ones who would creatively work at correcting the pretenses of the community. Mm. And, and so the, the tricksters were seen as healers. They're just using the back door. They're using the banana slip. They're using uh, humor, yeah. um, which by the way, the word humor comes from humus, which means earth. And so they were making everybody more connected to the earth where we all fall off the path and we all fall down. Um, and so go back to, yeah. And, and so humor was a deep healing thing, but also someone who is truly funny is carrying a knowledge of death and falling and harm. Uh, you see that with, with famous comedians, even that they have, if they don't awaken to the actual nature of comedy, they wind up in tragedy. And so, uh, yeah, so we're missing, we have some satire now, which is part of the comedic process. But, you know, the ancient theater, you had tragedies and comedies. That was a whole deal. And one of the differences, the tragedies ended with almost everybody dying and the comedies ending with everybody coming back together. 
And uh, so I think all that stuff is still there. It's in the bones, it's in the memories, and it's all gonna potentially come back and become the healing energies it was to begin with. Com comedy serves to heal. When we all laugh, we're all together. We're not working it out with committees and saying, wait, I'll laugh if you laugh, but wait a minute, I'm not gonna laugh with those people. If it's funny, we laugh and we are suddenly communitas. Uh, and so, but music is the same thing. Music was always called the healing road. People forget that all of the arts were aimed at the divine, were aimed at spirit, and that includes comedy. Uh, genuine clowns are doing healing work. They're on the healing work, and they're on the community building path too, if they understand it. to hear that I on the last workshop that I was uh, had scheduled for just last week I had to cancel was a clowning workshop yeah. and was I was very sad about that um, as as we're wrapping up our hour uh, I wanted to kind of lead into the the final question which again I want to open the invitation if it brings to mind a story feel free what is the question that's not being asked right now? Well, I think one of the questions that's not asked properly, I think, not given its legitimate weight, is why are we here? And people ask that because why are we here in all this confusion? Why are we here at this time? And, and as a serious question, I think the answer, part of the answer is that we're here to assist creation ongoing, that we're here to assist in the healing of everything that's been harmed and broken. And that not that any one of us is gonna do the majority of it, but we each have our part to play on the stage of life to go back to the theater. Um, and, um, and the why we hear is connected to the authenticity of, of being a unique person. And so I wrote a book called Why the World Doesn't End. And, and uh, someone said, well, how, how do you know it doesn't end? And I said, well, I don't know. I was in a, a clowning mode. I said, look at it this way. If the world ends, no one will be, be around to tell me I was wrong. If the world doesn't end, I'm looking pretty good. And so that was one comic way to talk about it. But what, what I was really thinking about and feeling was, if the world is going to end, I want to be walking the path that involves the awakening of my genuine self. If the world doesn't end, I want to be walking the path that involves the genuine awakening of myself. After enough pain, you just get to the point where you say, um, I must be here to be this, this person that I can't escape anyway. And why don't I become a better version of it? Um, and so I, now a story has come to mind. So this is a story I tell a lot these days. It's, it's a story told by a number of Na Native American tribes. Um, and by now I tell a version that's a mixture of those. Uh, and, but sim simply put, uh, the story says, it's natural for humans to seek knowledge. And there's a cave where all the knowledge that people really need and want is available, but somehow people don't find that cave. If people found that cave, what they would see inside is an old woman 
And the old woman has been weaving a garment and it's the most beautiful garment that anyone has ever seen. And she's been weaving the hem of it and she wants it to be exquisite. So she's been weaving the hem out of porcupine quills. And in order to weave them in, she first has to bite down on and flatten each quill. And she's been doing that for so long. She's worn her teeth down to nothing but numbs, but nothing but nubs, and still she keeps biting down on the quills. She keeps weaving the hem. And every once in a while, she has to stop and go back to the back of the cave. And back there, there's a fire. And some people say it's the most ancient thing in the world. And hanging over that fire, there's a cauldron. And in the cauldron are the seeds of all the plants and all the grains and all the flowers and all the trees. And if she doesn't go back once in a while and stir the soup of seeds, then all of those seeds will burn and there won't be any flowers, any plants, any grains. And so the old woman, tired from all the work she's been doing, gets up and slowly moves to the back of the cave to stir the cauldron. And then the black dog, what black dog? The black dog comes over to where she's laid the beautiful garment on the ground and it sees a loose thread and the black dog pulls on the thread and keeps pulling till the whole garment is unraveled. And then the old woman comes back and she stands for a moment and looks at the chaotic mess that had once been a beautiful garment laying on the ground. And then she sits down. And after a while, she also sees a loose thread. She picks up the loose thread. And as soon as she picks it up, she gets another vision of an even more beautiful garment. And she begins to weave the garment again. This is a story that the old people tell, the elders people tell. The elders tell the people when everyone's in trouble and the world seems like it's coming to an end. And someone might say, damn that black dog. If it wasn't for the black dog, the old woman would have finished the garment and it would have been the most beautiful thing ever. But the elders say, don't be foolish. That garment is the world. And if the old woman ever finished weaving it, the world would be over. Be thankful for what causes things to unravel because it gives us the opportunity to pick up a thread and join the old woman in the reweaving of the world. And this time, I don't know if the garment will be more beautiful, but our capacity to see beauty might be greater. This time, we might see how the world is actually woven from soul to soul, from human culture to great nature, from the soul of each person to the soul of the world. <laughs> So there's a little story that tells the whole thing. Wonderful. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. So stories like that exist in the midst of all this. There are stories to be found. Mm -hmm. There are threads to be found, even more important in a way. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank you so much for sharing the gift of your stories and your knowledge and presence. And I will put links to how people can get in touch with you and find your web presence, Living Myth. And uh, is it mos Living Mosaic? Living Myth. Living uh, Myth. Yeah, Mosaic is the nonprofit and Living Myth is the podcast. Wonderful. We'll, we'll connect all that. Michael Mead, thank you so much for joining us here and uh, best of luck and health to you. Thank you. Same to you and good to be with you and, and back in conversation, Bradley. Likewise. Take care. in common? We breathe, we eat, we sleep, and we dream. We love, we cry, we fight, we make up, and we play. Play lets us discover new parts of ourselves. In play, we expand our potential. We feel safe. We trust. In that safety and trust, we experiment with what we can imagine. Better art, better us. A better world for ourselves, our families, our friends, our communities. Our shared humanity. A common good. That's what Carolina Commons does. We take the world away for a while to give people the chance to see new perspectives, to listen to new voices from others and from our own internal worlds before rejoining and participating in the world renewed. 
We help people, teams, and communities connect to their inherent creative voice and to re-envision the world. With new skills, new voices, and new visions, we can help one another create a better future. Visit www.carolinacommons.org to learn more about how you can take your imagination, innovation, and problem-solving to the next level. Carolina Commons. Uncommon creativity for all.